it's not going anywhere. This technology is here to stay. Yeah. Right. So I think it's important to just get a, a piece of the action and it, and right. Even if you own, so you don't have to own one whole Bitcoin. You can own 10, 20, $30 of Bitcoin just to get some exposure and see how the blockchain technology works. Hey, this is Aaron Price with Tech United. Very excited about today's episode on where crypto belongs in your portfolio. Joining me today is Mark Eckerly. He is a senior manager and the team leader of digital currency and blockchain technology at Witham. Mark, nice to see you. It's nice to see you too, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So even though I, I believe Witham's a bit back in the office, so are we, uh, we're both, I believe, remote today. Where, where are you actually joining us from? Uh, North, North New Jersey, holding it down in northern New Jersey here, just outside of New York. Likewise, I'm, I'm in Hoboken. Good good to see you. Hopefully, you're getting back out in the world a bit. Yeah, things are starting to get back to normal, which is nice. Well, they're not, into the office. not so normal in the crypto world, right? <laughs> it's an interesting time. 2022 has been fun. It's been an interesting year, to say the well, least. Fun is, you know, some of us were had our, had a, you know, we're banking with Celsius. Mm-hmm. Not, didn't think it was as much fun. I may be one of those people. Let's dive into, we're going to start with the basics. And then I want to talk about kind of what, you know, where crypto is today, where you believe it might be headed. And then, you know, as we discussed, kind of where people should think about this in terms of their investment strategy and their portfolio. So first, for the basics, what is a cryptocurrency? Sure. Sure. So starting at the top, right? So a cryptocurrency is essentially any form of currency that exists digitally or virtually. And it uses cryptography, the underlying cryptography, to secure transactions. So, so typically, cryptocurrencies do not have a central issuing or, or regulating authority, right? Instead, they kind of use a decentralized system to record transactions and, and issue new units or new cryptocurrencies into the ecosystem. The whole, the whole purpose of cryptocurrencies as a whole is right, it's to create a peer-to-peer system Anyone can use it. You can send transactions anywhere at any time with essentially near instantaneous settlement, right? So same day settlement. Um, and you're not really relying on a third party intermediary, like a bank, for instance, to, to execute those transactions for us. Um, and I, I say that because for anyone that's been in the crypto space, there are token issuers. There are companies that have created tokens. So there is some centralized component to it. But I think the overall goal of cryptocurrencies as a whole is to have a, a decentralized peer-to-peer network operating independently in and of itself. So, and that network is called the blockchain, correct? Yes, correct. Let's talk about the blockchain. How, you know, again, with the basics, what is that? Yeah. So, so blockchain technology, it's, it's not something that's new. It's been around since I would say probably the early 90s. It just hasn't been captured in a way like it is being utilized today, right? In a peer-to-peer model, right? Because there, there's the, the understanding of a public blockchain versus a private. So a private, think of it like your QuickBooks system, right? It's a, it's a ledger, it's a database that is uh, closed off. Whereas a public blockchain, anyone can view it, anyone can transact on it, anyone has access to it. Um, so it's publicly viewable at any point in time. And the, the beauty of that technology, right? It's the, the engine behind the cryptocurrencies themselves. And it's powered by the users. You or I can plug into it and we can effectively mine transactions, right? We're approving transactions that will then get posted publicly to the blockchain. And that's basically how it's run, right? There's the, the miners themselves in a, a proof of work system. 
We could also talk about a proof of stake. That's kind of the two consensus protocols for how blockchain technology ultimately works. But in a, a proof of work system mining, right, you have the computers working, all that energy, and they're basically executing and solving mathematical equations to then approve transactions to the blockchain. Um, and you or I can do that, right? We can have a computer set up in our house, set up in our basement and do that so that we're effectively running the, the blockchain technology itself. And I, I want to preface this. I use Bitcoin as my primary example when I'm talking through things. There's obviously 20,000 different digital currencies out there and everyone is a little bit more nuanced. But when I'm talking through things, I like to use Bitcoin as my primary example here. Are there actually 20,000 different issued cryptocurrencies? I, I think as of earlier this week when I saw it, it was over 21,000. Wow. Did not realize that. <laughs> it's, so, yeah, it's growing more every day. Well, how does something I've never quite totally followed is sort of the handshake that happens on the blockchain. How do transactions get verified and how, um, why is it such a secure place because of how that, it functions? So it's, it's secure because it is, it has that decentralized component to it, right? It's not a centralized person or body where there's the, the debate of a 51% debate, similar to a company, right? If I own 51% of a company, I'm the majority shareholder. If I have 51% of the mining power, I basically have full say on that network. So you can basically ensure that the network is decentralized, that there is no one person owning 51% of the mining hash power. And that's the decentralized component of it, right? There's going to be 10, 50, 100 different people that are making up that mining hash power to decentralize it, right? So that's the regulate, regulate, regulatory body there, essentially. And so does that mean specifically anyone who is mining? If, I, if you and I are, if, you know, if, if I'm buying one Bitcoin from you, doesn't 51% of the network have to agree before that transaction is complete? No, so it's, that, that's just the, the mining hash power. The, for a transaction to get posted, for you to send me Bitcoin or me to send you Bitcoin, there would typically need to be three to six. That's the, the first number on the surface. Three to six different miners approving that transaction. So they'll basically come together. They're going to solve the underlying cryptography of the Bitcoin blockchain. It's a, it's a complex mathematical equation. And all these computers are operating as fast as they can to solve it faster than the other one. Yeah. Right. So that's why it's the, the, the video chip market has been crazy the last couple of years. Yes. Because um, you want to have a fast computer to solve those equations as quick as possible so that you, you're the first one to it, essentially. So what's to prevent if uh, I recruit 10 friends and say, let's inject our own coins into the system and then we'll say, oh yeah, these are real. How, how, do, how does the blockchain prevent that kind of fraud? So you can see each individual user and their mining hash power, right? So early on, I would say in 2020, you could see a lot of the mining hash power was in China and it was almost 45, 46%. So that was getting a little bit centralized. And then obviously, China cracked down and they banned mining. So it got dispersed, but that was almost a centralized body in and of itself. Now, one thing to keep in mind is for, you're not going to see this on Bitcoin where you're going to have that centralized component just because it is such a large market cap now. And it's so established compared to some of the more newer tokens. But if a token pops up tomorrow, right? A company issues a token and you get 10 of your friends and you want to almost get that 51% 
it happened with a great example is when Ethereum forked and then uh, it created Ethereum Classic back in 2015 or 2016. It was early on in the Ethereum lifecycle. There was a 51% attack. And that was basically one of the reasons for the fork, right? We wanted to prevent that. So it's one of those things that's built in, but it's it's not impossible, especially in newer tokens. So it's it always comes back to do your own research. That's what I like to say. And who, just for those who may not be clear, why what triggers, what is a fork in a in a cryptocurrency, and what what triggers that event? So a fork is basically a split in the network, a split in the protocol, and you're going to have a brand new currency from a point in time. So. It happened in Bitcoin with Bitcoin Cash in 2017, I believe, where basically the a large consensus of the Bitcoin holders of the miners got together and they say, okay, for where we are today, we the software can execute. These are the capabilities of the software, right? Now, we believe we should transition to have a software update for the protocol, whatever the enhancements are, but not everyone agrees on it. So basically, you're going to have a split, a divide in certain software developers, and one person is going to fork one direction, the other developers are going to fork in another, and you're basically going to have two blockchains, two new cryptocurrency tokens from that point on. So the first couple of years of the life cycle, you have one token, and then three years down the road, people disagree and you split off, so you have a fork. Um, so you have a split in the protocol, essentially. Got it. So... Let's get back to this as an investment strategy, even for those who can't even fully follow the tech, the underlying technology. You know, we're talking about a market cap right now, just under a trillion dollars. We've had people talk about the coins going to, I mean, I've seen every speculation out there, 50,000, 100,000 million dollars a coin and, and zero. So it's it's obviously everywhere. Where do you believe, first, let, let's just talk about Bitcoin. I, you know, I think most things peg close to Bitcoin. So let's just we'll focus on that currency, as you, as you pointed out earlier. Where do you believe it's headed and why is, why is that your view? So I, I might be a little bit biased just because I've been in this space for a while. I'm a strong believer in this. Um, and I, I definitely recommend having, I don't want to say cryptocurrency as part of your portfolio, but definitely Bitcoin, just because it is one of the more established cryptocurrencies in the marketplace. All right, so as we talked about earlier, there's 21,000 different digital assets, but I don't believe all of those digital assets are going to succeed. Right, so you almost want to pick and choose your winners, and Bitcoin is the most secure one of them all. It has the most established market, um, and it's been around the longest. It's it's one of the true use cases that is decentralized. Right, so as I talked about, some of these other cryptocurrencies are centralized. Right, so if a company fails, does the token fail with it? Right, so you don't have that with Bitcoin. We don't even know technically who created Bitcoin. Right, Satoshi Nakamoto is uh, an anonymous person. We're not sure who came up with that white paper, the tokenomics of it. But it's it's one of those things where you definitely, I definitely recommend doing your own research, understanding what you're investing in, and I, I think it definitely has to be a piece of a portfolio. And what that looks like depends on your risk profile, what you're most comfortable with. Um, some people obviously more so than others, but I especially think that it's not going anywhere. This technology is here to stay. Yeah. Right. So I think it's important to just get a, a piece of the action and it, and right. Even if you own, so you don't have to own one whole Bitcoin, you can own 
10, 20, $30 of Bitcoin just to get some exposure and see how the blockchain technology works, right? Sending a transaction, what that looks and feels like as opposed to your, your traditional security investment. Yeah. Obviously, to be clear, this is not, uh, you know, we're not making investment recommendations. But yes. And <laughs> the, the, you know, what this is. Um, but this would be classified as a very, very high risk part of a portfolio, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I always like to say, don't, especially because it's so new, don't invest anything that you're not comfortable almost losing entirely. Yeah. Hey, don't don't mortgage your house. <laughs> I, you know, I, I hope it's an almost. I shared with you that I had uh, some coins with Celsius. Um, they appear to be gone. We'll see. But can you explain to people what happened there? And then I'm, you know, I'm curious if you, if you can explain what you think will happen. It's not the first time this has happened and mm-hmm. hopefully it will be last. Unfortunately, I don't think it will be. But what, what went wrong there with Celsius and some of these others? Yeah, like you said, it wasn't just Celsius. There was a couple other platforms or third-party institutions, very similar business model to Celsius. And it was, it was, it was poor timing where there was a big, I'll call it a run on the banks, right? Where the, the ethos of crypto is self-custody, self-title to your assets. And as more and more people want to get into the space, you want the technology, the user interface to be clean, easy to use. So you tend to hold your assets at third-party institutions like a Coinbase, for example, right? It's very easy to buy Bitcoin, buy other digital assets, set up your credit card, plug in your bank account, whatever it means, and buy those buy that, those cryptocurrencies and then hold them there. And let's right? just be clear on that for a second, right? Because the the it's been so long since I purchased those coins, but I believe it started as a as a key, a long you know set of numbers. And I'm sure people have heard these horrible stories of people, you know threw away some some computer that held on the actual machine those numbers and they were gone and there, i mean there's been lawsuits of people trying to get access to dig up uh computers from from trash dumps but the, so you'd put them store them in it's a bit of a misnomer to call it a bank but we'll call it a bank for you know, make it easy and they would hold on basically to that set of numbers your bitcoin actual key values is, is it correct Correct. Yeah, they basically have people why, you know, you might not want to put this like it's literally like under the mattress or in a bank. Yep. Some people had them under the mattress, the mattress got thrown away along with those numbers. Other people put them in a in a in a wallet. Yeah, and, un- and understanding the different types of wallets that are available, right? So that is basically holding your tokens, your coins at a third party, right? So they hold they hold the private key, as you mentioned, the your account, your wallet. I try to make everything akin to a bank account just because sure. everyone's comfortable with that. So, so your private key is basically which takes the, the ownership to those assets is held by that third party in that instance. Now, there are certain wallet infrastructures where it's self-custody, whether you have a hardware wallet, a paper wallet, right? You mentioned early on, right? Having that wallet on a hard drive. Before the technology got to where it is today in, in 2013, 2014, very early on, when, it, when there was only a handful of even exchanges where you can go and buy digital currencies, you were you were creating your own wallet on your desktop, and we called it a paper wallet, right? Because it was it wasn't living anywhere. It wasn't it, it was you holding it theoretically on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. There, there's a couple of different wallet infrastructures. We've come a long way since then. Yes. So it's a lot easier to use. But well, let's, let's go back to this run of the banks, right? That's what I was going to say. The, Cel- the so the Celsius model, right? It's they they basically were over leveraged because they were holding customer assets and then lending them out. And they 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 weren't they didn't have the right call on them to provide 
to, to fulfill those liabilities from a customer perspective. So it kind of, everyone wanted to go pull their assets off at the same time and they didn't have them available. So everything kind of just went down the, went down the tubes very, very quickly. And and they weren't the only ones. There was a couple other companies where this happened too, but it all just kind of happened all at once, unfortunately. What do you think will happen? Right now they're going through bankruptcy uh, proceedings. What do you believe will happen with, uh, with Celsius? And there's a few others in, in market right now. They're going through something similar. Yeah, I know there's there's a couple options on the table. I believe um, FTX, I think, is trying to look at possibly acquiring some of their assets and hopefully it makes their customers whole or or somewhat whole to get to that point um, because it was definitely damaging to the ecosystem to have something like that happen, right? There's already the, the distrust from a lot of the mainstream traditional investors that cryptocurrency is inherently risky. It can't be trusted. So that just didn't help our use case at all. Yeah. Which was unfortunate, but it was already uh, there were a lot of I told you so's, and there yeah. there continue to be. I, I even having been personally hurt by this, I still am a big believer in the technology and and, and crypto overall. From the Withem point of view, for organizations or individuals that hold cryptocurrency, are the what are the tax strategies to be thinking about um, to make sure you know and and the regulatory environment that this lives in? What are some of the headaches that you see come across based on on people's trading habits? Um, there's a couple of things there, right? So tax is being a, being an auditor and account in accounting myself. Tax is always the first thing on everyone's mind, right? So trying to understand the complexities of this new asset class, and ironically, the IRS was one of the first regulatory bodies to come out with some guidance here on how to treat these assets, how to report them, and each year they've gotten more and more. Um, I would say this this area has gotten more and more important to the IRS, right? This is a question at the top of your 1040 now. Yeah. So it's you're answering yes or no, and they can hold you to that now. And the, some of the complexities that we see on an, uh, an accounting side from a tax standpoint is record keeping, right? Is is you're not going to get your 1099 like you would from your brokerage firm holding your security, so it's easy to report in your tax return. The record keeping is is always going to be an issue until we kind of have some streamlined reporting aspect. Because anyone that trades in this space, if you're using three different exchanges, you're going to get three different reports that may look and feel a little bit different, each one of themselves. So it's it's trying to figure out how to consolidate that information in order to figure out what's my tax liability here, right? Yeah. For my, my gains or losses. Um, but anyone that's in a, a, a buy and hold position long-term, there is no, no tax implications there, right? So it's only when you when you sell or use digital currencies to buy a good or you go from crypto to crypto is when you have a taxable event. Got it. What about, you know, some people try to get a little uh, fancy and hold their crypto in, in uh, overseas wallets. Does that make a difference? Do you recommend any kinds of strategies like that? Obviously, you know, I'm asking about legal things, but do you have any recommendations for people on on smart ways to, to manage the, their portfolio? So we're seeing a lot of token issuers issue tokens offshore. So they're, they're basically not open to US investors. They're not under the prudence of jurisdiction of the SEC. So we're, we're seeing a lot of activity in that space. From But from a tax perspective, it's interesting because while you may be holding those assets, I'll call it an offshore wallet, right? the onus currently in the space is on the user themselves to report it. Like As I mentioned, these cryptocurrency exchanges, they're not issued 1099s. They're not, they don't have to, at least today, as of today, they don't have to. Um, so the, the, the reporting is 
strictly on the user themselves yeah. to do that accurately and correctly. And as a tax person, I, I would definitely say as an accountant, right? Like you want to take the most conservative approach so that way you're not playing catch up later down the road. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it, it, it currently, like for those who got in way early, never did any reporting. Are you now working with some of those folks to make sure that they are accurate reporting their holdings? Yes. Yeah. And there, there's software technology out there to make it easier, right? So you essentially plug in your wallets and some of these softwares will, will comb the blockchain, pull the transactions from inception. And each year you can figure out what's your tax liability for the ins and outs. Yeah. And, and you want to piece that together because some of these softwares, they'll not, they won't be able to pick up if it's a, a true sale or if it's just a transfer from one of your accounts to another. Right. So you want to make sure that some of those transfers aren't being captured and you're not paying taxes on something that ultimately wasn't a sale. And are you seeing, is there any major difference in organizational uh, investment strategy? Or, you know, obviously we're, we represent the business community in the region, in, in, the, in the tech industry. Do you also recommend, or, or, or I mean, with the same uh, approach to risk profile, do you recommend crypto in, in an organizational investment strategy? So from an investment standpoint, it's, it, it, again, it depends on the risk profile of the company and how much exposure they want. The one area that we're seeing a lot of traction in is accepting cryptocurrencies as a form of payment from customers. Yeah, It opens the door tremendously just to a new customer base and a new asset class. And that, that inherently could potentially then put that digital assets on the balance sheet, right? If you don't liquidate it right away. And I, I say putting it on the balance sheet because a lot of those payment rails are done with stable coins, which are pegged one-to-one to the US dollar. It's easy to denominate, right? You don't have that volatility like you would with the Bitcoin or an Ether, um, but it gives you that exposure to blockchain technology and understanding what that looks and feels like, as well as a wallet infrastructure, right? Where do you want to hold these assets? So I would definitely say kind of that's a good starting point and an on-ramp for businesses to get into this space without having the volatility, right? So accepting it from customers, setting up your wallet, but only transacting in a stable coin until you get comfortable with using a, a, a Bitcoin or an Ether. Does that create any significant regulatory headache for, you know, if there's a, a small to mid-sized business that say it's an e-commerce business, they decide they want to start taking Bitcoin. Does doing so create, is it worth it for them? Is really what I'm asking. Or does it make it much so much so much more expensive to then work with someone like you to handle it, or is it pretty seamless? No, it, it's pretty seamless from from our perspective, right? As uh, from a tax perspective, there's not much implications there, right? It's uh, it, it looks and feels like a cash equivalent almost because you don't have the volatility, you don't have any realized gains. Um, for your for your accounting firm, for your auditors, it's it's maybe adds an extra wrinkle here or there, but it's not anything that's Crazy. I mean, with them, we have extensive experience here. I've been in the space for seven years now. Um, so we've seen the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, kind of as the market's gone with it. And it's something that not many accounting firms are fully comfortable with, but the ones that are definitely have some exposure, right? There's not everyone is in this space, but the ones that are are very knowledgeable. Yeah. You said a few times. People need to do their own research. Obviously, listening to something like this is, is part of that research. Where else would you point people to learn more? Yeah, there's some great um, webinars or podcasts as well, like from the news outlets, right? So there's a the CoinDesk, there's BlockWorks Group, there's The Block. Those are some really great research materials. 
um, as well as Masari. And all, they, they also have a lot of like pricing metrics or research pieces, right? So you can understand what's going on, Q3 recaps, Q4, like things like that. Yeah. Um, and then just venturing down some wormholes on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> it's always fun. Fun place to go. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for spending all this time with us. I really appreciate uh, your insight here. If people want to get to know, reach out to you directly, where's the best place to find you? Um, I'm, you can find me on withem.com, our website, Mark Eckerly. Um, I'm also very uh, active on Twitter at Mark Eckerly. Um, crypto Twitter is a big deal. So I definitely, definitely plugged in there as much as I can. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that, that'll work. And uh, last question. January 1st, 2024, a little more than a year from now, what's the price of one Bitcoin? Price predictions. Let's go. Um, conservatively, I want to say somewhere between 60 and 75K. All right. If I was, if, if I'm hoping for, I, I want to say maybe it's over 200, but that's my optimistic side coming out. All right. That's good. That's good. We'll, we'll check back in with you on, on New Year's Day and a year plus from now. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for listening. Let us know your favorite takeaways on social media at We Are Tech United. Stay tuned. More of Tech United on Tap next.